Today, we dig into our memory verse, our memory verse of the month. And in particular, the term Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was born Emmanuel, God with us. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, we'll do our memory verse in just a second. But as we're turning there, I sort of want to set the stage for you briefly in Matthew chapter 1 and remind you the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth, surrounding Matthew chapter 1. Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. They were not married. And Mary became pregnant with a baby, and Joseph had a problem, a rather large problem. All the evidence suggested that this woman, this wife-to-be Mary, had betrayed Joseph. And as Joseph contemplated what to do, an angel came to him and told Joseph that, in fact, Mary had not betrayed Joseph. That Mary was carrying a very special child. And that's where our memory verse picks up. So say it with me. Matthew 1.23 The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1.23 In fact, the angel is quoting from the book of Isaiah. The angel here is quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 where Isaiah said the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew uh, conjunction. Uh, Iman is uh, with us, and then El is the word for God. So our translator, Matthew, who translated from Hebrew into Greek for us, translated Emmanuel as God with us, Formally, it would be with us God, but order doesn't matter in languages the way it does in English. And so it means God with us. In fact, Matthew invented a Greek word here. The word Emmanuel is not actually a Greek word. It is Greek written of the Hebrew word, God with us. But why does it matter so much that Jesus is Emmanuel? What's the significance of Jesus being God with us. Why does that matter? The answer is that it's because God is beyond us, entirely separate from sin. But through Christ, we have unique access to God. This is going to be somewhat of a topical sermon where we're going to go all over in our Bibles. We don't normally do that. Normally, we pick a passage and stay there. But we're going to sort of really dig into more of a systematic theology of Emmanuel. So the first thing that we need to address is that apart from Christ, God is beyond our capacity to look upon. Apart from Christ, God is beyond our capacity to look upon. Have you ever heard people talking about in the professional world how important networking is? If you want a job in the professional world or you want career advancement, you must properly network. 
What they mean is they're referring to relationships that you form with different people to move you along in your career. When I first started at the university, I was a very young assistant professor just starting in my career, and I was on a trip uh, to a conference in Washington, D.C., and a very senior professor sat down next to me and said, I need to introduce you to somebody. I said, okay, who do you need to introduce me to? And so he brought over the president of the Mathematical Association of America, so the, the big one in the world, and said, I want to introduce you to the president of the Mathematical Association, and I want you to have a chance to just sort of share your vision with him. Okay. And that propelled me to grants and a bunch of other things. But it was that relationship that this full professor who knew the right people gave me. I want us to see that God is beyond us, incapable of being looked upon except through Jesus. Jesus gives us access to God. So the first thing that we see in the Bible as we study through who God is, the first major element of what would be called theology proper is that God is holy and as such completely separate from sin. Turn your Bibles to John 1, 18. John chapter 1, verse 18. John writes, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. No one has ever seen God except for Jesus. You know, I told you that I had the opportunity to sit down and have dinner with the president of the Mathematical Association of America. Other people had seen him. He wasn't completely foreign. When it comes to God, nobody Nobody has, apart from the incarnation, God is spirit and can't be seen in the physical sense. But more than that, he is entirely separate from us. In fact, Moses asked to see God in Exodus 33. And I told you we're going to be all over the place. You can turn to Exodus 33 as we talk through this. Moses asked to see God. And what he found is that we are incapable Of looking upon God. Look at what Moses asks in Exodus chapter 33. Moses, while talking with God, first asks God, will you be with us? Are you going to actually help us out here, God? And God says, yes. And Moses says, really? For sure? And God says, yes. And in verses 15 and 16, Moses said, well, can you confirm this? I really want to know. And God says, yes. And then Moses asks for something really bold. He says, well, can you show me yourself? Show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And look at what God says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. God said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. We are incapable of looking upon God directly. It's beyond us. God is holy and entirely separate. But through Christ, 
we have the opportunity to see the unseeable. Through Christ, we have the opportunity to see the unseeable. Look at Colossians 1.15. I told you, you're going to be flipping all over today. Or you could look on the screen. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God, incapable of being looked upon. His glory is beyond us. God says, no one can look on my face and live, but he provided Jesus the Son, who is the image of the invisible God. If you read through the Gospels, something that I have never found is a case where Jesus is unapproachable. No, in fact, Jesus goes to great lengths to make himself very approachable. Suffer the little children to come unto me. If I were to have written that, I would have said, suffer the little children to come unto me after they've washed their hands, please. (laughs) No, Jesus consistently, consistently makes himself approachable. We, with our dirty, grimy hands, are invited to come before the God of the universe with Jesus. The God who dwells in unapproachable light, according to 1 Timothy 6.16, is available to us, fully approachable, fully comprehensible, to be able to look upon. Will we comprehend all of who God is? No, but we can comprehend Jesus. Jesus gives us the opportunity to gaze upon God in an unprecedented way. So let me give this an action step. Let me sort of orient all of this together. I want you this Christmas to take time to gaze upon God. What does this look like? What does it look like to gaze upon God? Our alarm went off at 3 a.m. this morning so that Emily could get the food in the oven. And it woke me up. I didn't know the alarm was going to go off at 3 a.m., so I woke up with a start. And when you wake up with a start, you don't easily go back to sleep. And so I was thinking about this a lot this morning. What does it look like to really gaze upon God? And I I really think the answer is, one, to get to know Jesus so that you know who it is that you're gazing upon. How do you do that? By reading the Gospels. Now, I've read through the Gospels a lot, so I thought, okay, what's the next step? I think the next step to gaze upon God is to start thinking through, who is Jesus? Who is this God that we can see, that we can comprehend, that we can know? And then I thought, okay, so I start reflecting on who is this? Oh, next step is I should seek to be more like Jesus. And that led me to prayer. God, thank you for sending Jesus who is compassionate beyond all measure. Help me to be more compassionate. Oh, yeah, Jesus also, he loved like nobody else. Help me to love like that. Oh, his birth reminds me of his humility. I pray that you would make me more humble. And going through who Jesus is, 
the story of Jesus, applying it directly to my life as I gaze upon God incarnate, Jesus Christ, as presented in the Bible. This Christmas, take time to gaze upon God and understand the significance of that. Moses longed to gaze upon God. We get to gaze upon God. Let's move on. We learn that God is holy. So the next step is that apart from Christ, God's holiness demands separation. We need to start by first knowing that God is holy, entirely separate. And we could have done an entire sermon just on God's holiness. We have done that. But I want us to take it a little bit further today. God's holiness is a statement not just about God's righteousness, not just about God's separation, his transcendence, but it's a statement about his separation from our sin. You see, God is holy and calls upon us to live in a holy manner. Leviticus 19.2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or look up on the screen. Leviticus 19.2, God speaking to Israel through Moses says, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. God said to his people, be holy, be righteous people. And in fact, that standard is unattainable. The standard that God has for us is unattainable for each of us, apart from Christ, because we each fail. That's called sin. When we fail to meet the standard of God's holiness, that's called sin. When we talk to the kids and I ask them what is sin, they, they, they start rattling off all of these bad things that they've done. Parents, sorry, but they do. But one of the realizations that as we get older, we begin to realize is that sin is so much more than just the individual bad things that we've done. It's the state in which we exist, the sinful state that we have. We fail to attain to God's holiness. And the Bible tells us what that penalty for that sin is. The Romans 6.23. You may have that one memorized. If not, we're going to put it up on the screen. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings about death, separation from God. God in his holiness, we can't look upon him, but it gets worse because of our sin. We are entirely separate from him and deserving of death. But through Jesus, through God with us, we can have eternal life. You see, sin alienates us from God. Sin is that which alienates us completely from God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 addresses this quite well. The Apostle Paul writes, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, 
triumphing over them by the cross. Before Christ, we were dead in our sins. The idea here of death is separate from the life-giving God. Life did not come about by some random process. Life does not exist by chance. Life came about because God gave it. And when we sin, we separate ourselves from that source of life. The result? Separation from God and eventually physical death. However, hope is not lost because Christ came into the world to save sinners. This Christmas, I want you to remember that Christ came into the world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, Here is a trustworthy saying. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Christ came to save you. Christ came to save me. We have a tendency in life to neglect relationships that we kind of have as guaranteed relationships. You all know how this works. It's Christmas, right? You get to spend some time with family. But we have a tendency to neglect some of those relationships sometimes. We tend to take for granted relationships. Family, friends. One of the wonderful things about the holidays is it pushes us to focus in on our relationships, to build those bridges. But I want us to make sure that as we build in the natural relationships of life, which are good things, that we make sure to take time in relationship with God. Don't neglect the most important relationship in your life. This Christmas, remind yourself to build relationship with your God. If you want to know how to do that, it's a pretty, pretty straightforward answer. Prayer. Take time this Christmas to pray both to bring your requests before God, to bring your praises before God, and sometimes to just sit and listen to the God of the universe as he speaks into your heart. This Christmas, take time in relationship with God. What if you don't have a relationship with God? What if you don't know what this means? What do you mean a relationship with God? Then form that relationship. What does that look like? That looks at gazing on the Savior, Jesus Christ, seeing the perfect life that he lived, recognizing he died on the cross, relationship with the God of the universe. To accept that Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins, you can have relationship. Remember, God is holy, entirely separate. Through Jesus, through God with us, the one who died on the cross and paid for our sins, we can have restored relationship and eternal life. So how does the story end? Well, this isn't a narrative in the the story sense. This is a systematic theology. And so we need to end with our current state. Our first state, God is holy. Our second state, we're separate from God. Our third state, we can have relationship. And that means that apart from Christ, we would not have 
the access to God that we have today. I want you to understand that we have unique access to God today because of Jesus. If you want to start turning in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17, I'm going to read from there for just a minute. But before I read there, I want to sort of set the stage for you. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, the prophet Jeremiah writes a short poem. Jeremiah's poem contrasts the ways of the righteous with the ways of the wicked. Within the poem, Jeremiah talks of curses, the curses of following man's ways, and the blessings of following God's ways. If you read through the poem in verses 5 through 8, and you get to the end, and the natural question is, well, why would anyone do anything other than God's way? Why would you ever do anything other than just doing it God's way? And Jeremiah answers that question in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah's answer to the predicament that each of us find ourselves in. We know to do right. We choose to do wrong. Why? Because our heart is deceitful. Steve Jobs once said, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want. Everything else is secondary. Steve Jobs couldn't have been more wrong. We live in a society that has tried to follow its heart for several decades now. Depression is high. Suicide is at pandemic levels. Violence is rampant. And virtually nobody is satisfied. You follow your heart, the heart is deceptive. The heart is deceitful. No, we don't need to follow our hearts. We need God's divine guidance. See, God doesn't owe us any supernatural guidance or care but he gives it. Psalm 51.5 tells us, surely I am sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. God doesn't owe us anything. We are sinners from the moment of conception. But Jesus came and cured our problem of sin. Today, he's back in the nursery, but I have uh, my nephew, He's just over a year old. When he was born, and Emily showed me pictures of him, I've told you this story before, I looked at her and I said, oh, he's a cute sinner. (laughs) We're sinners from birth. But God provided a solution. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And then, to all who accept Jesus as as their Savior... Jesus has provided his guiding spirit, the cure to our heart's problem. Jeremiah had said the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. The cure had to come from God. And the cure for our deceitful heart is the guiding Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in John 14, 26. He said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit 
whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus promised to be with us even to the end of the age. In Matthew 28, we learn how it all fits together. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and all who accept Jesus are given the Holy Spirit who indwells them to the end of the age so that Jesus could say in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our problem, our heart is deceitful. The solution is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit indwells us so that Jesus is literally with us. So what's the significance of the name Emmanuel? God with us? We were entirely separate from the holy God, unable to even look upon the holy God. So what did God do? He came to us to be with us. Our sin separates us from God to the point that we deserve death. So what did God do? He came to be with us, to die in our place, to rise again, to defeat sin. Our hearts are deceitful, unable to be trusted. So what did God do? He sent the Holy Spirit who indwells our heart, literally God with us, the Spirit of Jesus. Why does it matter that God is with us? Because it's the most important thing that we could ever, ever need. God with us. So this Christmas, take comfort in the unique access to God that you have today. You have a unique access to God through Emmanuel, God with us. Take comfort in that. Take joy in that. Take time to gaze upon God. Take time to reflect in relationship with God. Take time to take advantage of the unique access that you have today. Access that Moses could only ask for. But you get with Jesus dwelling in your heart. That's what Emmanuel means. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Not because we deserve Jesus, but because we need it more than anything. And so this Christmas, I pray that we would take time to reflect on who Jesus is and the significance of the fact that he is fully God. That through Jesus, you, God, are with us. May that bring us joy. May that bring us comfort. May that consume us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.